May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. During this last year, one particular person took the United States by storm. This woman and her concert series were surrounded by social media craze, unmatched levels of excitement, and even some legal problems for a ticket purchasing website known as Ticketmaster. Entire cities made plans to welcome this woman. Santa Clara, California named her the honorary mayor. Glendale, Arizona ceremonially renamed their city after her. Some of you might have guessed it, but the woman I'm talking about is famous singer Taylor Swift and her Eras Tour. And during this whole last year, I've heard story after story about what some of her fans were willing to do just to go see her. It started with waiting hours in an online queue just to buy tickets. And when those fans got the chance to finally buy those tickets, sometimes the nearby venues were all sold out. So some of those fans would buy tickets across the country. And then on top of that, they'd buy plane tickets and hotel rooms and rental cars just to see her. And for those who couldn't afford to do that, they would go to the sold-out venues just to stand outside and hear Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift fans all over the nation were willing to give up just about anything to see her perform. But what are people willing to give up so that they can hear God's word? What are believers willing to put aside so that they can follow Jesus? Today, Jesus asks us to be willing to give up anything to follow him. And in fact, you are encouraged to carry your cross behind Christ, according to God's plan, and focused on eternal life. In the beginning of this section, Jesus started to predict his suffering and death and resurrection. Now, for the disciples, this was the first time that they had heard about this. Their teacher, their close friend from over two years, their savior, told them that his time on earth with them was coming to an end in one year. You could imagine some of the feelings the disciples must have had. Fear, despair, anger, sadness. It's like sitting with your brother in the doctor's office, waiting for the test results to come back. And the doctor walks in through the door. He looks you in the eye and tells you, your brother has a terminal illness. He only has one year left to live, filled with pain, and then he'll die. That is what it was like for the disciples. And it was probably some of those emotions that drove Peter to do what he did. Peter rebuked Jesus. Maybe Peter was driven by fear, thinking that what Jesus was saying was scaring him and the other disciples. Or maybe Peter was driven by confidence, thinking that whatever Jesus is saying, I I can stop that. Either way, Peter, always quick to act, rebuked Jesus because he thought he had a better plan. He thought he knew what was best for Jesus. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. It may seem well-intentioned, but it's not a small thing. Peter, perhaps without even realizing it, was rejecting 
God's plan of salvation. And Jesus showed Peter just how serious that was. Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. This isn't the stereotypical little cartoon devil on one shoulder arguing with the cartoon angel on the other trying to convince someone to do something bad. This was serious. Jesus called Peter a liar, a deceiver. It was just like when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness to stop following that path to the cross. Peter's rebuke was a stumbling block to Jesus, trying to trip him up from from following the plan of salvation. And Jesus showed Peter just how serious that was, and he showed him the heart of Peter's problem. Peter had in mind the concerns of men, not the concerns of God. Peter wanted to carry out his plan, not follow God's plan. Jesus' response to Peter might seem pointed and and harsh, but it shows us something deeper about Christ. God's plan for Jesus to suffer and die needed to happen. And thanks be to our Savior that he always had this in mind. Jesus' response to Peter shows that he had absolutely zero intentions of stopping. Jesus was fully determined to carry out the plan of salvation, even though that meant suffering and death. When we hear accounts like this in the Bible, we often like to point our finger at the person in the wrong and fixate on their mistake. But we need to turn that accusing finger right back at ourselves. Because we are a whole lot like Peter. You go to the doctors and you hear that news you never wanted to hear. Or maybe it's not your first time going to the doctor this month, but closer to the fourth time or the fifth time. Why, God? Or maybe it's a certain temptation that you struggle with, and you finally resist it, thinking that you're free from it. But it just keeps getting stronger and stronger until you fall back into it, and the cycle starts all over again. Why, God? Can't you just... Take this away from me. When God's plans don't line up with our plans, and especially when they include hard times, we begin to doubt God, thinking that God doesn't know what's best for us. But when we think like that, we need a strong reminder that we are only lying to ourselves. Because the truth is this. God's plans for us are always for our good. But that doesn't mean they're always going to be easy. Jesus' suffering and death certainly weren't going to be easy, but they were for our good because it made us perfect before our Heavenly Father. God's plans for us aren't always going to be light and easy, but they will always be for our good, even if we can't see it. This is a promise. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You can carry your cross behind Christ because you trust that it is according to God's plan. And even though God's plans for you might include hard times, God's plans don't stop there. God's plans for you are laid out through all of time and even into eternity. Just like God's plans for Jesus ended with resurrection to eternal life, 
God's plans for us end in the exact same way. And that is what Jesus was focused on when he turned his attention back to the disciples. And he tells them this truth. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The first requirement for being a disciple of Jesus. Deny yourself. This means that you are willing to put aside everything that you have in mind for yourself. Your own plans. Your own desires. The second requirement, take up your cross. This means that you are willing to do anything that goes against your sinful nature so that you can live a life of faith. And this cross, it's going to be unique to you. Maybe it is wrestling with that temptation every single day. Or or maybe it's taking time to be in God's word when your sinful nature would certainly rather do something else it considers to be more fun. And requirement number three, follow me. Follow Jesus. I'll be the first one to admit that I haven't kept all of those requirements perfectly. But that is why Christ goes on ahead of us. Christ carrying his cross isn't just the example that we follow when we carry our crosses, But Christ carrying his cross is the only way that we can carry our crosses. Because it was on his cross that our sinful nature was put to death. It was on his cross that all of our sins have been paid for, even the times we didn't perfectly carry our crosses. It was on his cross that he won eternal life for us. And Jesus tells us how we get that eternal life. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus is comparing earthly life to eternal life. Whoever wants to save his earthly life by making it as comfortable and long-lasting as possible will lose their eternal life. And on the opposite side, Jesus says that whoever is willing to give up their earthly life, whether that means sacrificing fun or comfort or even their actual life, will certainly find eternal life with him. And Jesus drives that point home with his final two questions. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? The simple answer to this question, there is nothing good that comes out of gaining everything in the world just to lose eternal life. And the second question, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The answer to that, absolutely Nothing. All of the fame and power and wealth in the world can't even come close to paying the price for eternal life. But there is only one thing that can pay that price. The cross of Jesus. And even though we know the worth of Jesus' cross, we don't always value it like we should. Sometimes we focus on our own crosses, the pain and hardships, instead of treasuring Jesus' cross. Or sometimes we value what we can see and enjoy here on earth over Jesus' cross. But those two questions that Jesus asked weren't just for the disciples, but they are for us too. We can ask ourselves those questions every day to remind ourselves of the most expensive treasure we have, the cross of Jesus. And Jesus carries that cross in front of us as an assurance of the forgiveness of our sins and as a promise 
of eternal rest from all of our crosses. God doesn't promise that it will always be easy to carry our crosses. And sometimes it might feel like God doesn't know what we're going through. But God does promise us that he knows exactly what we bear because it is according to his plan, which is always for our good. And God doesn't promise that we will always perfectly carry these crosses, but he does promise that we will never do it alone. Christ always carries his cross in front of us, his perfect cross, keeping our eyes fixed on the eternal life that he won for us. Carry your cross behind Christ, according to God's plan, and focused on eternal life. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.